Hello and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup, your one-stop shop for all things Ulster Rugby from the Belfast Telegraph. I'm Adam McKendry. Joining me this week, I am very delighted to say we have Richard Mulligan back on with us. Richard, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good to see you, Adam. You're looking well. Yeah, Richard, um, just taking a little bit of a jab at the fact that uh, my camera's not working today and I have absolutely no reason why. I think I've been troubleshooting for the past 10 minutes or so trying to get this sorted and... Look, I'm I'm not the best tech guy at the best of times, but this morning it just seems like everything has gone against me. So, uh, yeah, it it also doesn't help that we've got a guest on who I've never met before. But so, in terms of introductions, it makes it very awkward. But I am absolutely delighted, and even more delighted than I was whenever I was welcoming Richard to say that we have got Ireland women's hooker and Gloucester hooker. Neve Jones on the podcast with us this week. How are you, Neve? I'm good, thanks. I'm happy to be on it and looking forward to chatting away to you guys. I, I've got to say, it's great to have another Balamina girl on, on the podcast this week because uh, I feel like I'm very outnumbered being uh, having my family from Balamina. I finally got someone who will sympathise with me. <laughs> There'll be no language barriers here. <laughs> I've, lo- I've lost the accent, unfortunately, but I'm glad that you haven't. I've got, a, I've got a twang. I wouldn't say I have a full Balamina accent, but there's definitely a twang to it. <laughs> I just love hearing a broad Northern Ireland accent again. When you live in England for a period of time, you just love to hear that accent, Neve. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like home. It does. See, so, somehow I've gotten someone else from Balamina on the podcast, and I'm still outnumbered because you two both live in England. So... <laughs> How how has this suddenly worked? How has this suddenly worked against me again? Look, we're not we're not here obviously to talk about uh, to talk about my balaminaisms or anything like that. Neve, how is life in England at the moment? Um, you've obviously gone back to Gloucester after playing in the Six Nations. How have you found your first year in, in Gloucester? Yeah, honestly, it's been a it's been a whirlwind, and I've absolutely enjoyed and thrived at the challenge that it's brought. And the girls here are fantastic, and they welcomed me in. So it's basically, I feel like I'm at home. It's like uh, I would say a second home, but it's actually my first home at the minute. So credit to the girls, the coaches, and all the staff um, at Gloucester for being so incredibly welcoming and friendly, but also you know keeping you grounded and making sure that your your head's not getting too big. So coming back from the Six Nations, it was great to see all the girls and get back into the way of training with them and back into the Gloucester systems and that kind of stuff and get into the gym with the girls because it's one of the favorite parts of the game. Why did you decide to go to Gloucester at this point? What was sort of the motivating factor to decide to leave Ireland for your club rugby? Oh, well, I was, I'd always hummed and ad about it. And then with the Gloucester coach actually touched base with me just before Christmas and uh, I thought about it and I was like, just, just do it. Why not? Let's go and see what it's like. And, from the, the moment I got to Gloucester, I was like, this is for me. And I haven't looked back since. And just the, the level of rugby that you're getting and the coaching and the one-on-one coaching that you're getting week in, week out, you just, it's, it's unbelievable. And um, I can feel myself improving from every session that I've been to. Taking you a little bit out of your comfort zone as well, I suppose, you know, having to go abroad and well, I say abroad, England's not exactly a million miles away from uh, from Northern Ireland, but um obviously going to to a new city and trying to establish yourself there must have been a, a bit of a challenge early on uh yeah I guess it was it was a bit of a it was just you know I'm, I'm quite a social person so it was just trying to make friends with people and have that like do you want to grab a quick coffee before you go to training or that kind of thing that was probably the hardest part for me but honestly couldn't credit the girls enough they've been more than welcoming and um actually we had a, a barbecue last night with all the girls and it was great to see them all as like a last hurrah for the season and yeah it was a challenge to start with but I just jumped in two feet at a time and uh yeah still still thriving and loving it. How would you sum up the season just gone by with Gloucester? Oh that's a good question (laughs) um how would I sum it up exciting a huge learning curve for myself as a player and motivating because all the girls are pushing week in week out to get better and stronger and faster and fitter and all of the above you know um just to make everyone the best possible rugby player they can be i mean you've just missed out on the playoffs neve i mean you I mean, I mean i think he's finished with six six place overall and the yeah. premier 15s are close i mean how far away are you from the 
from the the sides that are in the playoffs? Um, yeah, well, we're we're building as a team, and we had a few injuries. You know, that's part of the sport, and we we work around that. And all the girls support each other, and we're, we're we are building towards that. And there's definitely like when we played Wasps, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before, the rugby we played there was just like some of the best rugby that I've personally um been part of. Um as a club rugby kind of side of things and so we're definitely building and we're learning and we're getting used to each other's players and new players have come in this year like I came in in January some of the girls came in just before me so we're always building and trying to create that that team element that we all just know each other inside out and we're going to get there and it's a very exciting process to be part of. How have you found support wise have you have you seen it grow um, on the sidelines each week are there some venues you go to where there's more support, do you find? Yeah, there's, there's definitely, well, obviously there's a lot of factors that play into it. So when we played Wasps, it was it was a home game for us. So loads of the supporters were out there. We had loads of people that had, like loads of the Bucks girls had come up from the college and the university had come to watch. There was a huge taster day that morning. So there were loads of little kids there that were getting to watch like female role models in their sport, which was great for them to see. And then chatting to them afterwards, they were just full of excitement to see like, actual like actual um, female role models in rugby live and chatting to them and signing their little flags or whatever it is they had for us um so there's definitely the support is growing um and playing in the, the six nations there uh at leicester tigers you know the there were what like 14 and a half thousand supporters there and that was just unbelievable i mean in the moment you don't notice it but when the final whistle goes and you actually stop and look around you're like damn that, that this this is the guts of the full stadium have you watched um, that game back and sort of thought to yourself that, like what you were kind of playing in, for, in front of and the the sort of occasion it was? Well, do you know, actually, when I watched the game back, it wasn't I wasn't actually looking at the support. I was just watching myself being like, oh, I should have been here. Or I should have been there or that wasn't too bad or, you know, just trying to work on my own game. But I, I just I know whenever the game finished and I stopped and looked around, like I was trying to find my mom who's. A tiny little ballerina woman, so she was, as you can imagine, quite hard to spot. Um, so I was actually looking for her, but you just, I just had to take it all in. I just took a moment, took all in the supporters that were there, whether they were there supporting England or they were supporting us. You know, they were all there for the purpose of supporting the women's game. I want to ask you about that tackle, though. You went viral in the aftermath of making that one huge hit. What was the reaction like after that game? I know Ulster posted it multiple times on their social media but uh there was just a it, it was one of those hits that sort of reverberates around the world <laughs> yeah well you know if, I, I don't I'm actually kind of speechless when it comes towards it it was a part of the game you know Helena Rowland ran at me and credit to her she's got unbelievable footwork and I was like I'm not gonna let her get past me just make the hit just make the hit and I just got myself into a good position and managed to get the drive on and worked out well for us and you know what after the tackle I like kind of like went to get up and she was like fair play good hit and I was like you know that's that's the, the little things in the sport that you enjoy where yes we're, we're losing or whatever but you know people still credit you for some of the hard work that you've put in and the the unseen work really you know um and that's part of this that's just fantastic to see during I don't know what was it like the 50th minute of the game or something like that I wouldn't have thought you'd be having conversations in the middle of a game where your opponent would be congratulating you and absolutely crushing them in a tackle. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the sport, you know, you gotta, you gotta, if someone makes a hit on you or makes a, I don't know, a good pass, you've got to credit them, whether you're in the same team, different team. If you're on the sideline, you're going to say, fair play to you, that was fantastic. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's the kind of thing that you would get in rugby that I don't think you get in many other sports. <laughs> no, definitely, especially at the bottom of a rock. You know, you have, there's there's nice things that happen at the bottom of a rock and there's not so nice things and I just happen to be on the receiving end of a nicer thing. <laughs> was it, what's, the, at the bottom of a rock. What, what's the weirdest thing you've heard at the bottom of a rock then? Keep it clean. I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Listen, like obviously coming off the, uh, the Six Nations as well, how would you sum it up from your perspective? Uh, Ireland obviously finishing on a high against Scotland, but uh, I think overall in the tournament, I think you guys did pretty well. But how, how would you sort of see it? Yeah, you know, so obviously Greg came in and he he did a, a great job trying to like amalgamate the team because we had loads of new players in. We had, I think, we had nine, 10 or 11 new caps coming into the, the, the squad. Um, so he did a really good, it was fantastic to see him incorporate them into the squad. Um, 
and just we we weren't together for very many weeks before then but just the we were all like sponges just absorbing all the knowledge and the, the systems that they were giving us and we were always we'd train and then go to lunch and then go to the analysis room and say what do you think about this where do you want me how would you feel about that do you want the ball a bit higher a bit lower whatever um, and just working together and really bonding as a team in the early weeks I think that really cemented us and I think you could see that on the pitch and there were definitely definitely many glimpses of us playing our brand of rugby and that's just what we're going to build on and work towards the next however many years it is and um, I can't wait to get back with the girls and see them all. You mentioned there about all, all the new caps, but one of the things that there was also was, you know, the sevens girls going away midway through the tournament. I mean, what, what's that like for you guys as players having to deal with so much turnover in, in a tournament where, you know, you are only playing five games and halfway through you've essentially got to replace the guts of your squad with a whole new group of players? Yeah, well, you know, as as in all sports, there's challenges that come and go. And this is one of the ones that we knew we were going to face at some point. And mainly we miss the girls for their, you know, they're, they're great people. And I love being around them. And they add an extra, like, they add, bring some banter to camp, which is always needed. Um, and then obviously fantastic players. But going to watch them tear up in, in sevens is just great to see. And, you know, after we played Scotland, we all watched the girls um, take to the field together and, supported them as they did to us in the last two games when they weren't there and the new girls that came in they knew that they had a job to do and whenever they did they really really took to to the ground running and did a fantastic job and great to get to play with all of the girls across all five games. One of the reasons you had that crossover with the sevens and the six nations was because they they decided rightly to to put the six nations the women's six nations in a window on its own so that it wasn't running alongside the men's and the under 20s. Was that a positive thing for the sport generally? Yeah, I'd say definitely. You can even just see from, first of all, the number of supporters at the game, the amount of PR that we got. You could see it everywhere. There was like, you could actually see people. And people kept sending me photos that people, they were think my face was like slap bang in the middle of, I don't know, like a spar or a centre or something. They were sending it to me and they were like, I've been loving this. And I was like, yeah, I wish. I, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, it's great to support the um the women's game and get the PR out there and the number of people that then turned up to support the games was great and even when we played Scotland in Belfast there there were what like eight and a half thousand tickets or something like that sold and the miserable rainy day that there was we still got most of those people out supporting and that's just you get to see the next generation of the sport coming through and that's something that even whenever I was growing up I didn't really have that those role models that you'd see as much because the PR wasn't as big and the games weren't as you didn't know about them and I think I only saw I think I saw my first female rugby game we watched England beat Ireland down in Dublin when I was about nine or ten and that was my first insight to actually seeing my, what I wanted to do with my like life and being able to see those girls fantastic sign exactly how they feel you're like just giddy with excitement because you're seeing what you could be one day I mean I know that apparently it the women's game is the fastest growing sport um, in England at the moment. Anyway, um, I think cricket was, but it's, but uh, but rugby has now taken over. You look back at the World Cup when it was in Ireland. Do you think there was an opportunity missed there to maybe promote push the game on on home shores across the shop? Do you know, I was actually so at, at the time I was kind of involved, working a wee bit around that. I think we did what we could with where the women's sport was at the time. I think if it was to happen this year or next year, or whatever, it'd be slightly different. But with what we were dealing with at the time, I think we did what we could. And the number of girls that did actually take up sport that year was insane. And for what we accomplished was brilliant. And sure, Kingspan sold out of tickets and it was the highest recorded number of attendees at a women's game. And yeah. England and New Zealand did put on a spectacle of the game that day. They so yeah. really promoted the game, which was fantastic. I suppose whenever you were at that game, did you ever sort of think to yourself that maybe one day you'd be playing at Ravenhill and then obviously to achieve that uh, only a few weeks ago must have been massive for you personally? Yeah, do you know, I remember being a kid and being like, I want to play rugby to international level and I've always been driven that way and always wanted to play. So from that, from a young age, I've always wanted to play then and then growing up and actually watching some of the international women's games at Kingspan, it was a bit like, okay, this could be more of reality. Let's just keep my head down and keep working hard. And then to actually pull it off and be able to run out um, on home soil is just a brilliant feeling and you can't really beat it. 
because would you have gone to like Ulster men's games whenever you were you were growing up and you know no um not really no I was I was I, you know what when I was a kid I loved playing the sport and as I got a bit older I then got into watching the sport a bit more and then just watching the women's game was just more exciting for me because I related a lot more to it and I think that, that's probably a big thing that people overlook you know they, they sort of think that any sport is is, is kind of the catalyst for people getting involved but as you're sort of putting across you know it, it's very much if you see what you could be it's a much more enticing prospect than just seeing anybody doing it yeah no like I, I love the sport and I watch as many games as I can but I just relate and there's like a, a an emotional connection almost to the women's game whenever you watch it um, and growing up as a kid being able to see that and in the rare glimpses that I did just was a real driving factor not only for myself as a player but for me to promote the game for everyone to see and one of the interviews that I was reading was as I was doing my prep for this you said you're really excited to do coaching and really excited to give back to that side of things and is that kind of part of that yeah, mindset so as well I did a lot of coaching when I was living in Belfast I uh, worked in loads of schools primary school secondary schools was down at clubs doing a lot of work with them and seeing the girls just improve week in week out as players but also growing their confidence um because I think rugby actually a lot of the unseen work rugby does is building the confidence of players from whenever they're young to having the confidence not only on the pitch but off the pitch and grow as a person and being able to see the girls do that because of the rug facilitating the rugby for them was just brilliant and you just the coaching it's you can't really put words on how it makes you feel because you're giving kids opportunities that they wouldn't have before simply through having an oval shaped ball. Is that is that you also looking long term as well? You know, obviously you've still got a long way to go in your playing career. I'm not advocating that you hang up the boots yet. But, yeah. Um, is, I, is, is that... so, I mean, sure my knees would be grateful for it. <laughs> but is, is that something that you're thinking about, you know, like long term, like even, even once you're out of playing the game that you'll potentially go into coaching? Well, I'll definitely stay within the game, whether it's coaching, managing, whatever it is, I'll definitely always stay in the game. But I do love coaching and I do love the joy it brings to everyone involved. So definitely think I'd look into that. Right. And instead of talking about life post-playing, maybe let's talk about how you have been playing. Because I I saw a quote from your head coach, Greg McWilliams, where he said, uh, Neve Jones is one of the most extraordinary players I've ever coached. Um, (laughs) And he, he did mean that in a good way, by the way. I, I see you yes. smiling there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how would you sum up your form at the moment? Because we saw what a great Six Nations you had. Is this possibly the best you've ever played? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think there's, there's, you can't really say that it's the best you've ever played because obviously there's glimpses of good and there's the bad. And for me to make myself the best possible players. I was actually chatting to Gary Longwell, not maybe a, year, a good few years ago, actually. And he said, what makes a good rugby player better is, yes, mistakes will happen, but it's how they react to mistakes. So if you make a mistake, I don't know, drop a ball, give away a penalty, whatever, it's how you react to that. So make a, an extra hit or hit, clear, uh, properly clear a rough out or get a turnover, whatever it is. And that's what I try and embody when I play rugby is, yes, mistakes will happen because no game of rugby is perfect. But it's how you react to mistakes that are made and try and better yourself and the team by being better. I don't know how to describe it, but I just that's just what I try and body when I play. So, yes, I, I really enjoyed playing the Six Nations. It was great fun, but I just can't wait to keep building and see what more myself and the team can give. Whenever you say that, you know, like so much of responding to mistakes is mental like would you do any mental work we've we've heard uh whenever we've been doing our media stuff with the Ulster men's team them talking about them bringing in a a psychologist do you guys have anything like that or is there a lot of focus on the mental game in in Gloucester or Ireland uh not so much uh, at the minute I think it's something that there's there's definitely there's facilities at Gloucester that you can make use of but not quite yet at Ireland I think we're really working towards something like that but for me I just try and this is going to sound really silly but I try not think about it too much so I'll play the game, whatever, and uh, review it. And then you know what you need to do for the next game. And I try and set aside three goals for every game of something that I want to do. And actually throughout the Six Nations, most of my goals stayed pretty similar. I might change one or two of them, but most of them stayed pretty consistent. And I think that was very good for me just to try and stay mentally switched on and not read too much into the mistakes I made in the previous game or what the media has to say or anything like that. And just try and stay 
positive and switched on and ready to do my job. Uh, you shouldn't say to two journalists that you don't read the media. That's not good. <laughs> I, did, I said I didn't read too much into the media. Too much I into read it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. Fair enough. That's the word you've got to use. She would, would read my report and then read your report and think, Richard's a decent guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Neve, in the wake of the, of the England game, I mean, you said played Wales and France and Italy, and then the England game came up, and... There was then the talk about the professionalism and everything. And, and I mean, you saw the difference in it. I mean, um, mm-hmm. England and France, for example, in the Six Nations are that wee bit farther ahead than any of the other four unions and stuff. Do you think it's been, do you think they've gone about it in the right way now about looking for professional contracts and things? And, and it's difficult. And I think the, the problem is people make the comparison with the men's game and you can, it's easy to, to identify where professional contracts should go and where they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Is it an easy thing in the, in the women's game in Ireland to say, right, well, there, there's 15 people that should get a professional contract or, or how the process should be done about? Honestly, I'm not really sure how the, what kind of process, because obviously it's very new to the women's game. I'm not really sure what the process, the ideal process would be. I think it's fantastic that England and France have the opportunities to be able to do that to their players. And you can just see the benefits that it's had for the players themselves, the recovery um, the way they play and it's great to see that because that's how the women's game is going to grow um, as regards to obviously the other kind of countries I know a lot of the like the Welsh girls and the Italian girls and all that are now on like kind of retainer funds which is great to see as well because even you can see it when we played them in the Six Nations that they were playing a great brand of rugby and it was really exciting to play against um, just in regards to us I know that it's obviously it'd be fantastic for it to happen to us as players but um I think it's one of those things that it might happen and hopefully it'll be within the, the same time frame as many of the players I'm playing with because the hours and the hard work that the girls have put in is just, yeah, actually most of it people don't know about, like, you know, getting up at 5am to gym, run before work, then going to work, a 12-hour shift, coming home, trying to eat at some point in this day and then repeating it seven days a week, you know, you can't really, like, people don't know that that's what the girls are going through and trying to meal prep on a Sunday and Sunday's your only day off. When do you see your family, your friends, your partners, you know, and the amount of stuff that you give up is just next level. And people don't, as I've said, they don't know about it, but it's one of those things that we're willing to give up because of the love for the sport. And I think you can see that when we play, that we play with such passion and love and a heart, we leave our hearts in the field every time we play. And I think that's just brilliant to see. And, you know, we play because we love it and obviously being able to be contracted players would be even better but we play because we love it and that's what we're, where we're at at the minute and hopefully something will come hope at some point but no I know exactly what you're talking about the passion so I mean me and my wife's um Irish jersey and her caps are, are hanging up on the wall here pride of place um and it's it's a fantastic honor to play for your country um yeah. no matter what but it was interesting on certainly on social media, and I got engaged with some people, certainly some of the English people who were being critical of, of Ireland and stuff. And I was saying, look, it's a different situation. And and then Ireland was praying, well, if England hadn't broken away years ago and, and gone down the professional route, we wouldn't be in this city. We should, we should have all went together. But you can't blame England for for wanting to right, they want to progress here. And it's it's obviously been an advantage to them. I mean, they're world champions. And, and I think yeah. it's great that the World Cup is coming back to England as well. From, from a player's point of view, and just looking at the, the Irish clubs set up and stuff. I mean, the likes of yourself has gone to Gloucester to to, um, to maybe to better yourself as such. And I find that there's a few Ulster players are moving south to play for the likes of Real Union and stuff. Is there a need to go back into the Irish club structure and say, right, how do we do things a wee bit differently? So again, a good question. I'm, I'm not really sure. Obviously, there's always room for improvement everywhere and yeah. England has done a great job over here and part of the reason that the English players, yes, they're full-time athletes or whatever, but the Premier 15s has done a great job at increasing the type of rugby that's played. I think Ireland are trying to like embody that and trying to work around that, but the pool's not quite as big of players. And obviously people are going to, not necessarily going to Dublin or whatever for rugby, but a lot of the girls that I've played with have gone down there for uni or college or whatever it is, and they don't want to stop playing rugby. So they take up, they continue the sport there at a different club. And it's just the way of the sport. And, obviously we're still trying to 
we're still either in uni or college and or working and we're also career driven so people are taking like going places not necessarily just for rugby it just happens to tie in well and they're getting the best of both worlds that they can at that point yeah i think the premier 15 is a, is a really good concept and, and it certainly has helped in the game in england there's no doubt about that and it was interesting recently the chief executive of the United Rugby Championship was asked the question, um, were they looking at bringing women's teams into a URC thing? Now, he, he was quite open and honest and said, look, we're still developing the URC. It's a new competition, and but it's in the back burner. Um, it would be great to see Ulster play Cardiff, Leinster playing um, the Bulls or whatever, women's game, and would really lift it up. The, the trajectory is going in the right direction from an Irish point of view, at least. And these things have been highlighted over the past year, I suppose COVID didn't help as well. Um, it was one of those things that came in. But at least the trajectory is going right and the, and the focus and the exposure you're getting, it has to be taken as a positive. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's all, there, you can see glimpses of um, brilliance and some of the this rugby that's been played in Ireland is fantastic. Like I watched the, the AIL final and the girls yeah. put, put on a fantastic performance and some of the hits that were going in, some of the absolute ballers on the pitch, you know, girls that have played Gaelic and then gone across to rugby are making fantastic like they're just fantastic across the board they're just athletes and they're embodying the rugby as much as anyone so it's great to see and I think we're growing as, a, as as the sport grows the number of girls will grow which means that the performance level of rugby will go up as well and it's just that kind of like domino effect yeah I mean I mean, I mean your own club Malone won the All-Ireland Shield this year interestingly to note that in the first round they were beating 102 nil by Railway Union so that there is a disparity there but it was great that they were able to pick themselves up and then go on to, uh, to uh, and to lift the trophy and have an Ulster club winning the trophy which is really positive Yeah definitely and I love the girls at Malone and they're very supportive of me and hopefully I'm a supportive back to them and it's great to see them just staying positive and keeping the morale high across the club If a pro contract was put in front of you tomorrow would you sign it? Yeah uh, it's a fantastic opportunity and I think um, I'd have to consider a lot of things, but um, I'd have to look at all the, look at my whole life as a whole, because obviously there's more to life. Well, I don't think there's more to life in rugby, but I know there is. Um, but- I, mean, I was just going mean, to say from, from, from listening to you earlier there, uh, I've got a son who's, because I want to mention Harlequins, Adam. I've got a son who's in the Harlequins. Of course DVD you do. Program. Yeah. <laughs> He mentions Harlequins and, every single week, and it is insufferable. It's an Ulster rugby podcast. The abuse, the abuse I get, Neve, is unbelievable from my friends back home. Um, but you know, it's a channel for him, and you're saying, right, if things go as you would like to go, it's an easy decision. You're going professional rugby route. From listening to you chatting there, it's not as it's not as easy a decision for the women to make. No, definitely not. We have a lot to, obviously, because it's new to us, we don't have that yeah. set up. Like, boys, when they're in their system, they're in the system from the world, like 14, 15, 16, and they have that kind of, like, process and that lifestyle that they've had for so long. Whereas, for, for, for example, for me, I've got to take into consideration, like, work, like, do you just want to leave my job? Um, my lifestyle, where I'm living, family. Like, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. Yeah as opposed to just, and then obviously further down the line for me, but for other girls, you know, like if they want to settle down and have a family, you know, yeah. that kind of thing also comes into consideration. So you've got to take in, it's a bigger picture than just, I want to play rugby. Because obviously yeah. that's the only question, the answer is obviously going to be yes, but you got to stop and think about the bigger picture. Yeah, no, it's interesting now, the whole thing, definitely. Thinking it would be interesting, you know, if the RFU did bring in professional contracts, would it be you could play your rugby wherever, like could you sign a professional contract but stay at Gloucester or would they say you'd have to come back and play for Malone or one of the other clubs back in Ireland? Yeah, I think that's probably another, another I don't know, brick to the, the wall mm. that I wouldn't have an answer for. Yeah, it's an, inter- it's an interesting one, Adam, and I think it's one of those things where you, I think the IRFU must move on professional contracts um, and they do need to support the women's game uh, both financially and uh, with other types of resources. Um, I think one of the things for me looking at it all is, I mean, if you take the, if you, if you look at the Premier 15s and you wanted to have something like that in, in Ireland, you have a lot of women's club teams 
but maybe you have too many. Um, and you're, I suppose some players will maybe move a bit more. They maybe might not be the same loyalty to clubs as as, as some men have um, domestically. And it's one of those things that, look, it's, it's, it's for discussion how you would do it. But I think there has to be a structure beneath the professional setup that really is good that, that that is driving the girls through and who are the who are the better ones that can make the make the step to um, provincial and then international rugby that type of thing there's a lot of i think there if you've got a lot of thinking to do around the whole thing and the branches internally with that yeah definitely there's, i think there's a lot to consider especially with several things i've just discussed um yeah. before you have to make decisions like that definitely definitely did you ever consider playing sevens, Neve, or not? Not even from a professional point of view, but just from a playing point of view. I like a, a game of social sevens. I'm not sure the the whole running things for me as much. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's I do enjoy very... I do enjoy social sevens, um, but I'm not sure I'd have the the. Well, to be fair, because I'm competitive to the max, I probably would, but I don't think my body would be. My mind would cope up. My body wouldn't cope. So there's some of our adrenaline keeps you going for the for the entire time you're on the pitch, and as soon as the final whistle goes, you collapse off the edge of it. <laughs> for the full three minutes, I'd survive. Yeah, so I don't think I'd make it for the, the fourth, fifth, Do you get back to Malone much? I haven't been back yet. Actually, I haven't even had like a because of I came over in January and then we were straight into Six Nations. So I've been back and forth to Dublin, trying to work a little bit in between. And then this actually yesterday was the first evening I've had off and I was like what do I do with myself like what what do you actually do I was a bit lost words and then the girls were on a barbecue I was like fantastic I've got some plans <laughs> I know the feeling so what, what then do you do for the summer <laughs> it's a real good question that, that's that's another problem down the line I work train try and explore England a bit more I'll have the opportunity to do so maybe try and surf a little big surfer oh no well I try to be I try to pee, but I can't. I can stand up. That's about it. And I feel like that's all right. It's a lot better than I can do. So I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah. I just belly board. It's much easier. Just as fun too. This is just as fun. You're right. Yeah. You get the fun bit of the surfing without the disaster. <laughs> on a on a on a serious note, though, I mean, I, I assume you do have like a lot of uh, plans from Gloucester for the summer and how to keep yourself in shape and stuff and uh, pre-season will then when, when will that begin again? Uh, so I think we're six weeks off and then everything kicks off like first week first weekish in July. And then season begins what September? It'll actually not kick off until November because all the girls going to the World Cup will go off from September, October and then I think we'll kick off. There'll be loads of cup games involved. There'll be loads of cup games in September, start of October, and then the couple or the league will kick off. Are you going to be watching the World Cup, or is it one of those ones where it's uh, it's a bit tough because you're not there? Okay, obviously it'll be tough to watch, but I'll I'll be supporting first of all the women's game, second of all the girls I know that'll be involved. I want to see them put on some performances and tear up on the field. And you know it's 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 rugby, and unfortunately, yes, we're not part of it, and it is it is sad, and it would be great to be there, but at the same time, it gives us something to work towards and have set a few goals. Just just to round things off, look, looking ahead, what what would your goals be looking ahead, both with Ireland and uh, and Gloucester? I think just for me, the big thing is that you got to enjoy the sport that you play. And I know that there were a couple of times in the past couple of years where I haven't enjoyed playing as much. And since I've come over here, I've really thrived and enjoyed playing. And I think you got to enjoy playing it, and or else really, what's the point? Whether yeah, no, like, why would you do something if you don't really enjoy doing it? So enjoy playing, try and improve myself as a player. Maybe get a bit stronger, but, you know, that, that, that'll come with the gym. You know, the girls really motivating and drive you to get stronger. So get a bit stronger, fitter, faster, a bit more of a baller. Don't know if it's possible, but we'll see. Well, that's interesting that you you say that. Like, not, not to sound too negative, but it's, it's like strength the weakest part of your game that you would say because certainly from watching well, you join the Six Nations I wouldn't have said that <laughs> I hold my own in the gym you know I'm I was actually chatting to the girls last night about it I did, I am quite short but I don't realize that I'm so small until I see photos I think I'm the same height as all the six foot two people and then I look at photos and I'm like cheapers I'm actually quite short so I hold my own in the gym and I I do enjoy gymming and I don't know I 
I don't know. It's, it's up, most of rugby is about technique, isn't it? The strength just helps with the injury prevention and touch wood, that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, I do enjoy it. So, Are you competitive in the gym? Absolutely. I'm competitive about absolutely everything. <laughs> I don't want to lose. <laughs> I've been since the day I was born. So even, even just like to announce that and we just like to announce that Nee Jones will be presenting the next uh, Ulster Rugby podcast. Happily. And I'd do such a good job. I'd want to win. <laughs> I'm expecting an email next week just asking when uh, when the Zoom link's dropping in. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, Neve, you've given us half an hour of your time and it's extremely appreciated. Um Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great to hear about uh, what's going on with you and uh, Six Nations and, and women's rugby as well. And I know um, on behalf of myself and Richard, we'd like to wish you all the very best going forward. Enjoy your summer of surfing uh, and uh, good luck for uh, whenever you get back into, into Gloucester and get the new season started. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Take it easy. Yes, Neve, look after yourself and, and thanks for being really in. Really insightful and really fascinating stuff talking to you. Anytime. Thanks again to Neve for her time. I think you'll all agree she was absolutely outstanding and it's fascinating to get that kind of an insight into the women's game, not only in Ireland, but also in England. I suppose she has a very unique take on things because of where she's based now. So um, certainly I hope that will not be the last time she's on the podcast. But to matters elsewhere, and we actually have an Ulster game to look forward to this weekend after two weeks off, and it's a pretty big one. I think you'll uh, you'll agree. Ulster take on the Celsi Sharks on Friday night at Ravenhill, seven thirty-five PM kickoff, and the equation's pretty simple actually. Whoever wins gets a home quarterfinal in the playoffs. Whoever loses will be on the road in the quarterfinals and there is a potential home semi-final up for grabs as well if results elsewhere go their way, which uh, I'm sure we'll discuss in a second. Uh, but just first of all, Richard, what do you make of the Sharks as a team and the challenge that uh, they'll pose to Ulster? Um, I think we've seen, certainly when they're at home, um, and the second half of the season, you saw you saw the potential that they have, and and, and they've certainly, along with the other South Africa, certainly the Bulls and uh, Stormers, that brought a new level to to the URC competition at the expense of probably the, the Scots, the Welsh, and the Italians. As we we kind of thought they would do that, um, the Sharks. It's going to be all about the physicality. Um, thump thump thump. Uh, it's how Ulster coped with that. Um, that will determine if they will get over the line. I think being at home is a huge um, is a huge advantage for us during this occasion. Um, but I think it's it's, it's going to be the physical battle uh, where this one's going to be won. And I know a lot of games are won in a physical battle, but it's going to be an intense battle up front. And and whoever gets on top in that one will um, will come out on top overall. I think the bigger question, and I probably should have started with this, is probably over Ulster and whether what they produced in Edinburgh to win there is a sign of a resurgence, or if we're going to get the team that lost to Munster, lost twice in South Africa, and look, they weren't bad in South Africa, but you know they they lost the two games and lost to Toulouse. Like you've got to bear in mind that Ulster haven't actually won at home in their last two outings which is a real rare thing for Ulster given how good they usually are at Ravenhill um, but it's it, it's a really interesting look at how will they perform for another week whenever their backs are against the wall because their backs were almost literally against the wall over in Edinburgh the way that they had to defend in those last 10 minutes but they managed to dig in and get the job done can they do it again when the chips are down at home against the team as good as the Sharks. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Edinburgh game, Edinburgh were poor um, and Ulster played better, but they didn't. They didn't put the throat in the neck when they should, or sorry, put the foot in the throat when they should have. Um, and in saying that, you kind of thought that Edinburgh side is so bad. Look at the mistakes they have made, and yet they turn around a week later in the in the European Challenge Cup and and, and, and almost take wasps out. You know. Um, and you also worry about sometimes when Ulster have a break, they don't often come back to playing as well as 
they had been previously. Now, I know that's a bit momentum and continuity and stuff, but you kind of worry about that aspect to it. And then you have to look at team selection um, and who look, looks like they're going to be reasonably strong. The loss of Stuart McCluskey could be fairly important. Um, yeah, you, you look at the fact that Lacanio Am, who just so yeah. happens to be a South African international and was yeah. the player of the series against the Lions, you know, not yeah. not a bad CV to be bringing back into your into your lineup for Sean Everett ahead of the playoffs. But no, no, absolutely not. Um, I suppose I suppose one plus from this is that both teams know that they have secured their European Cup places for next year, um, and yes, they're playing and and they've secured their place in the playoffs, and they're playing for whether they will be at home or or away certainly I wouldn't want to be going away to a South African team in the quarterfinals and I'm sure the South Africans would be going we don't want to be going away to an Irish team in the in the quarterfinals so there's an awful lot at stake stake at this and Ulster just have to worry about getting the win to get them over the line to get a home quarterfinal yes as you mentioned there there is the potential of if results go elsewhere in a certain way they could get a home semi-final or a home quarter-final as finishing second, which then gives them the right to have a home semi-final. Um, so, but I think Ulster just basically have to go out there and say, right, we need to get the win here. And if it's an ugly win, we'll take an ugly win. I don't think it will be. Um, I think Ulster will have enough to get them over this time. Um, I'm not maybe as confident as I usually am when I say that, but I think they will. I think the fact that they're at home, and I know that you've, You've highlighted there they've lost it to lose, but then I think to lose are a better side than the Sharks, to be honest. Yeah, just to uh, just to fill in the blanks a little bit in terms of what Ulster need for a yep. for a home quarterfinal, home semi-final, and whatnot. Um, the equation simple for a home quarterfinal: it's winning they're in because if they win, they're guaranteed to jump ahead of the Sharks. But in order for a semi-final, I'll, I'll just read out the table. Actually, Leinster have sixty-two; they're guaranteed to finish top no matter what happens, which is why. Uh, they're going to be sending down a much changed team to the one that played Toulouse yeah. last week, as they've already said. Munster are second on 56. The Sharks also have 56, as do the Stormers. They're all second, third, and fourth, respectively. Ulster are fifth with 55. The Bulls have 53. And then Glasgow and Edinburgh both have 50. Uh, that's rounded out the playoff picture. In order for Ulster to get a home semi-final, were they to win their quarterfinal, uh, they would have to win on Friday night and then the Stormers would have to lose to, uh, or sorry, let me, um, sorry, Munster would have to lose to Leinster, and the Stormers would have to lose to the Scarlets. Both those games are on Saturday. So essentially what Ulster will be hoping for this week is obviously that they win first on Friday night. They get the job done uh, on the first game day, and then both a Scarlets win and a Leinster win. So, Plenty, plenty still up for grabs going into the final weekend of the season. Uh, I think it's fascinating too. Um, I think it's fascinating too, Adam. There's a couple of things that are in the equation there that are interesting. If you take the Scarlets against Stormers, and you've also Ospreys playing the Bulls on Friday night, Scarlets and Ospreys are vying to to win the Wild Shield, and although they will finish outside the top eight, one of the two Scottish sides who happen to be going head to head for a European Cup place because they have it in place that if a Welsh team didn't finish in the top eight, one of them would take the place of another team in the top eight, given the way the Shields work out. So one one of the Scots is going to lose out in a European Cup situation. And that puts a lot of pressure on the Stormers because the Scarlets will want to beat the Stormers at home. Ospreys are still in the mix against the Bulls. So there's an awful lot. There's an awful lot going on this weekend that makes it really, really interesting. As much as I don't like the whole giving places to countries who haven't necessarily earned it based on their league finish, it does make for a heck of an interesting final weekend. That's for sure. Like it's you, you can't no, no say. Doubt. Like I, I'm looking at the fixtures here. I don't think there's a game that doesn't actually mean anything. But probably Benetton, Cardiff. Is the only game that has and nothing Dragons riding on. Dra- sorry, Dragons, uh, Dragons and Lions, yeah. Lions as well. But, but you know, again, it was, in, it was interesting talking to the CEO at, the, at URC about the situation that because you want to keep the European thing right, 
Um, you could make an argument that one of the Italian sides should be allowed to play in it, but anyway, that's that's another discussion. But he had said that if it happens again next year, they'll read really look at the structure of it because at the end of the day, European Cup places are for the top eight sides, so therefore the top eight sides in the URC should be playing Europe. And if that means that there's no Welsh or no Scottish, well, so be it, you know. Um, mm. You play through a season and you earn the right. Now, I suppose there was some COVID effect in games this year that maybe skew things a little bit. But um, now that we are kind of back into a normal way of going, that the URC, for it to be, a, if they want to be taken really, really seriously, they've got to say, well, look, if you, if you don't finish in the top eight, you, you don't qualify for Europe, no matter where you're from. And that could be an Irish province in the mix, you know. But I mean, you imagine an Irish province had finished in eighth place and, and we're told, well, actually, we finished eighth and we have to let one of the Welsh sides in. You're right. You can imagine the uh, uproar there would be. Well, we, we thought that might happen to Ulster for a while before they yeah. beat Edinburgh. So there was always yeah, that risk yeah. that that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hedge your bets, Richard. How are, we, how are we finishing this weekend? Are Ulster going to be second? Are they going to be outside the top four? What do you think? I think they'll... they'll They'll beat the Sharks at home. Um, I don't see. I don't see Monster losing to Leinster. To be honest, um, even with this like mental hold that Leinster seem to have over Monster, yeah. um, I think Leinster Leinster's focus is on something else at the minute. Um, I I still can also do enough. Um, I wouldn't write it off, but I, I think if, if also get a home quarter final, they'll be happy with the home quarter final and finishing third or fourth. They'll be glad to have got that. Because, the, to be honest, I mean, if you go back to the Stormers game when they should have had the full, the full points from that game, they wouldn't be in this situation. They'd probably be going for second place now as it stands. Um, but I think Ulster also a finish in third or fourth. The most, third, the most intriguing thing that I'm seeing from this is the fact that it could be Ulster versus the Sharks in the semifinals as well. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, yes. sorry, in the quarterfinals as well. Quarterfinals, like yeah, yeah. The way you work it around. So, and again, you'd rather have, I think you need to have home advantage in the knockout games. I don't care what anybody says about previous form and whatnot. If you're at home in the knockout, it makes a, it makes a big difference. The thing is, that if you're Ulster, you're probably looking at if you don't win this game, you are going to South Africa, and that's going to be a massive ask. Uh, that's pro- probably even going to be more of an ask than going to Leinster and trying yeah. to win a game down there. Yeah, I suppose you say you can you can make the argument also haven't performed that well at home in recent games. And okay, you take the two South African away games, but if you look at their season overall, away performances, they've been pretty good. Yeah, I, I would I would honestly argue that their best games of the season have all come away from home. Yeah, yeah. And, and and maybe it takes a wee bit of, maybe is it because it takes, I'm certainly in knockout games, it takes a wee bit of pressure off your feet away from home because you're maybe not expected to win the game and you're not going to be the favourite. I mean, you saw how Ulster dealt with the favourites tags in last year's Challenge Cup, although I think sometimes the favourites tags was a bit unfair because of the opposition they were playing. But, you know, they won three, they won three away games on the bounce and they, uh, or sorry, two away games on the bounce and then just should have won a third. But you don't want a third, you know. So sometimes going away from home, it's not it's not what it used to be like when you were going away from home, you were going to probably lose. Whereas maybe maybe going away might be an advantage to Ulster. And you know, you I think you really do want to see a Leinster Ulster final this time. I know it's going to be in Dublin again and all the rest, but you want I mean I know Ulster beaten Leinster twice this year, but it hasn't been against the full strength a full strength Leinster side and you'd like to say let's go into a final because I think Ulster could take Leinster this time in a final I really do well we'll find out their playoff path at the end of this weekend Ulster play the Sharks on um, Friday night my apologies 7.35pm kickoff we will have all the action for you on the Belfast Telegraph website as per usual I will be on live blog duty from around about quarter to seven Uh, if you want to pay attention to all the games on Saturday as well if my iPad would load for me there we go um the uh, the Stormers are away to the Scarlets at 10 past five on Saturday evening and then Leinster play Munster at quarter past seven at, at the Aviva Stadium, which I actually didn't realise but should have probably put two and two together on a lot quicker. 
Richard, we didn't even get to talk about the European games. We've only got three minutes left on our Zoom meeting, so... Uh... How good? I mean, you just have to you just have to look in awe at Leinster and kind of go, how good is that side? I mean, I that's just. I mean, I have a few Leinster friends, and I was I, I was WhatsApping them after the game and stuff and saying, where that's don't you have friends? <laughs> <laughs> you have to you have to keep all your options open, you know. Um, the uh, I was saying that's probably the best Leinster performance I've seen for a while. Um, they were good, weren't they? They were just sublime, and their backline, their, their movements, and and tag furlongs pass. You know, I mean, good grief! At um, any centre would be any centre would be proud of that. It was just, it was just fantastic. And you know, Toulouse didn't play that badly. They played in a similar way that they played against Munster and against Ulster. But I think it just showed that Leinster, Leinster have what it takes to to win those games. Whereas Ulster and Munster came close, but yet were so far away in the end. Um, and okay, Leinster against La Rochelle. Ronald Nogara is back in another final. I saw La Rochelle play to lose in the final last year, um, and thought La Rochelle were the, probably the better of the two sides, but didn't that didn't win it. But and it's always wrong to maybe compare two semi-finals. I mean, you saw it at the World Cup, England and New Zealand and South Africa and Wales. Um, the way that the way those games went and you were saying, well, England will probably win the World Cup now, but then South Africa turned around and, and were much better than they were the previous week. And La Rochelle um, against Racing was a pretty tur- turgid watch, to be honest, but La Rochelle won't be that bad in the final, but I still think Leinster, I just can't see Leinster not winning it. I would agree. Um, and I think <laughs> there's always the saying, if anybody, uh, there's, it's not a saying, well, um, it's, it's always, you know, if anybody can beat Leinster, it's probably Ronan O'Gara. So uh, I would yep. imagine he'll uh, he'll be very fired up to win, not just for La Rochelle, but probably still with uh, with a little bit of a monster tension yeah. in, his, uh, in his eye as well. Absolutely. But we'll leave that talk aside. I'm sure we'll have plenty of discussion before that game, whenever it comes to it next week. Richard, thank you very much for your time. As always, it is much appreciated. An absolute pleasure, Adam. And uh, go well. Uh, also, press golf society captain day tomorrow. Yeah, Kieran, big, Kieran captain, big captain captain's day, day for Kieran. Yes, enjoy that. Um, uh, I wish I can, it was there. But I can guarantee you I will not play well, but I appreciate the well wishes. <laughs> no problem. Good luck. Enjoy. Thank, thank you. you thank you very much to Neve Jones for her time as well. She was absolutely fantastic. And thank you very much to all of you guys for listening. We will see you next week.